God, we thank you. God, we thank you that, that the words of that song are so true. God, that one day every, everybody, all of creation will really stand before you. That whether we've believed in you during our life or not, that we will, that we will know for sure that you are our Lord and Saviour. God, we thank you that you have chosen us, that you gift us and equip us to reach out to those around us. God, we know that it's not about rules or formulas or anything, but it's all about your love pouring over us, drenching us like the, the soaking rain. God, we, we're just so grateful to you, God, that you choose to use us that you choose to pour your love out over us. And God, we thank you that we have the privilege of bringing our offering of praise and worship to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. You can take a seat. Welcome if you're joining with us online and welcome to our crew in Yarram as well. Hopefully you are at least getting this. Um, hopefully you're having a great service down there as well. Um, yeah, so welcome to church. If it's your first time, we would love to get to know you better over a cup of tea or coffee after the service. So turn right as you leave the worship centre and uh, we would love to chat with you in there. Um, you'll notice that um, spread out amongst all the seats and everything, there are these new Connect cards uh, which are super fancy, uh, and we would love you to make use of those. So hopefully somebody around you has a pen, um, especially if you haven't been with us for very long in the church. We would love you to fill these out and pop them into the offering, offering buckets as they come around. If you don't have a pen, check out a lady with a handbag. She'll have a pen and she will help you uh, be able to fill this out. So um, fill out whatever information is helpful to you on the back there. So there's like contact details at the top and then sort of bits of information that might be helpful to you as, as you move um, maybe on to the next step in your journey um, of faith or in church or whatever. So yeah, just check that out. Fill it out quickly while I'm talking to you and pop it in the offering buckets which will be coming round very shortly. Whoops. All right, so just a couple of things to highlight from the newsletter uh, this week. Um, so on a Tuesday night at 7pm we've been having um, a, a prayer course here. So if you haven't been along to any of those yet, I encourage you to come along. Even if you join in week three, it will still be valuable for you. Um, this has just been a wonderful time of learning about um, who God is, what he's up to, uh, what's really happening when it seems like he's not answering our prayers, that type of thing. So um, if you haven't been, come along this Tuesday, 7pm, and you will be glad that you came. Um, as I can just encourage you to uh, be checking out your newsletter. Everything that you need to know about church life is in there. Um, one other thing to highlight is uh, there is a sales show cleanup. So we haven't been able to do this for a few years, but this is a little um, money-raising thing that we've been able to do in previous years. So uh, it's an early start. All the details are in, in the newsletter, um, but it's a, an early start. It takes about an hour or so, um, and it's a, a valuable thing to do um, as a community service, but also we do make a little bit of money for iKids as well. Um, 
Everything else you need to know is in here. If you don't get the newsletter normally um, online, then let us know because it means we don't have your email details or we don't have you tagged correctly. So uh, let us know about that. So you can be sending those buckets around. I'm pretty sure I mentioned that already. Um, <laughs> it's not because I forgot. Um, surely. Anyway, pop, pop your Connect cards in there if you fill them out and, and you can also be putting your offering in those buckets as well. Um, so, how about I pray? Um, everything's on again. Kids Church is on. All of our ministries are back after the holidays. There will be a banner which goes up to mention when uh, the kids are to go out. So, hopefully, that is... Did I forget anything? No. All right. We're good. So just I'll pray while we're sending the offering buckets around and then we'll have time to chat. So, um, yeah. God, we thank you. We thank you so much uh, that you can work through our imperfection, that you can, um, that you can redeem situations. God, we pray uh, this morning that this service will be um, so valuable to us, that we will hear a message uh, that has been prepared for us that will um, impact our hearts and our minds. Uh, God, we know that we that we come to gather together to be equipped and to be sent out and to do your work in our community, in, in the little community around us and in our wider community as well. So, God, we thank you for everything that you will uh, share with us today, whether through the words of the, the songs or whether through the words of the message that has been prepared for us. Uh, God, we bring before you now the, the um, people in our, in our state and a little further afield as well who have been impacted by floods in recent days. God, we pray uh, for all of those communities at um, what is a really difficult and frightening time for them. God, we thank you for, um, for the way that you will be moving through this situation for uh, the impact that, um, that Christian people can have in communities that are displaced like this, for the VCC workers who go and just come alongside people in their, uh, in their difficulty, in their, their times of stress and, and anxiety over what is about to happen for them. So God, we pray that you go with those people, that you give them the right words to say and know when to say just nothing and just to be with those people at this really precious time. And God, we also bring before you those who are unwell and recovering from surgery and uh, recovering from illness. And we pray for Alana and um, pray that her voice, uh, her voice returns to her strong and um, still beautiful. Uh, God, we pray also for Brian Skeen, who's having surgery today to uh, uh, have, yeah, just have surgery on his spine. And God, we pray that all will go well with that and that there will be a great result for him. So we, we lift up these people before you, God. We just hold them up in front of you and ask you to continue your work in their life and to continue to pour out your blessing on them. God, we thank you for uh, this money which has been collected and God, we know that, that you will multiply that, um, that you will use that to further your purposes in the lives of so many people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, five minutes mingle time now. Uh, find somebody you haven't maybe chatted to for a while. Oh God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you're our living hope. God, that nothing stands between you and us, God, that you have bridged the gap. 
You have made a way where there was no way. You've conquered death. You've conquered the grave. And God, we worship you this morning. We lift our hearts. We lift our voices. We lift our hands. We come before you in full surrender, saying, God, we worship you. We love you. We adore you. We give you all that we are, all that we have. And God, we choose to be present with you in this moment, to turn our attention, our gaze fully on you. Knowing you're the God who saves, you're the God who speaks. You're the God who brings life. God, we thank you so much. We love you. We honor you. We praise you in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, please grab a seat. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's great to have you with us. Good morning again. Great to have Yaram with us. We had planned to hear from Yaram this morning, but something went Something went amiss. The internet went slow. Thanks, um, thanks Telstra. We'll blame Telstra anyway. I think that's, that's fair enough. They can wear it. Hey, if it's your first Sunday with us this morning, it's a great Sunday to be here. We're just starting a new series. So you've just stepped in. It's like, um, you know, if you watch a new Netflix series or Stan series or binge series or whatever the other ones are, I mean, there's so many these days, Um, and I don't know about you, but um, Alana and I have been watching The Office, is anyone into The Office? I mean, I've never really watched it, but it is hilarious, there's some very funny, you might, I mean, it's tempting to put clips up all the time now, because it's so funny, but anyway, um, she's been very unwell for the last uh, week and a half or so, so she's been watching a bit of The Office, and I haven't been able to watch it with her, and so I'm walking in halfway through episodes and halfway through like season four going, whoa, they've all changed positions, they're all in the same office but they're all doing different jobs now, it's sort of weird. Um, It's helpful when you watch it from the start, the point is, you're at the start, well done, you chose the right Sunday to come. We're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be spending seven, maybe eight weeks, we'll see how we go, see how fast we push through, um, in Matthew five to seven. Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, arguably um, the most famous sermon ever preached um, and one that Jesus spoke, 107 verses long. If you read it from start to finish, it would take you about 8 to 10 minutes. And then people like me get up and take, I mean, I've looked at some people and some preachers and they've taken like 15 or 20 weeks to get through 8 minutes worth of material. Anyway, the point is read it, because we're going to read through it each week, um, but Jesus' words are way more powerful than mine, uh, and the ability that he has to speak directly to our hearts, especially through the Sermon on the Mount, is profound, if you would stop and listen and take in what he's actually saying. So we're going to read from Matthew 5, 1 to 16 this morning, we're going to attempt to get through that much uh, in the next 20 or 30 minutes. And uh, then we'll move on as we go through from week to week. So Matthew 5, 1 to 16, I'm going to be reading from the CSB version, if you're playing along on your phones and you want to read nicely, or we might even have it on the screen behind us. We will. Thank you, Beck. It says this, Matthew 5. 
When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. God, that's our prayer this morning, is that you would get the glory. That every word spoken, every word heard, would bring you glory. Would help us see more of you, your goodness and your grace, and your way and your path for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever been in a, in a meeting that you think, that could have been an email? I mean, if you work in a, any office situation, that's notorious to happen at some point, uh, or if you volunteer for something uh, and volunteers get together and the person gets up and says, we're going to change the time of the time we get together. It's like, well, you could have sent that in an email. We didn't have to all come out and get dressed and, and do all those things. Um, or listen to someone argue a point only to not understand what they were talking about, like they just kept rambling and they talk and you think, what's the point? Maybe, maybe like what I'm doing now. Or someone who has way too much to say, they're just always talking, they've always got a story or always got something, an opinion on something, like everything. They walk down the street, oh, I don't like that shop or um, I really don't like that TV show or I like this or like that. It's like, I don't know how I feel about those many things and I'm glad you've figured out how you feel about everything. It's either the best or the worst. Everyone, Anyway, you met people like that. Jesus wasn't like this. Jesus wasn't like this. He wasn't the kind of guy to call a meeting that could have been an email, he would have sent the email. Um, he would have sent the stones, whatever, papyrus. Um, but this famous sermon is some 107 verses long, and like I said, it would take 8 to 10 minutes to read out. He doesn't pull any punches, he doesn't ramble, he doesn't put any fluff around any of his points. He just speaks directly to the point. Um, and And... His aim is to get really deep into our hearts. Now, of course, um, this is Matthew's account of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Luke's Gospel has a version of the sermon, uh, and I think in Luke's Gospel it's like the Sermon on the Plain, and there's debate about whether that's the same sermon as here or a different version of the same sermon. It's likely that Jesus didn't preach this sermon in eight to ten minutes. 
it's likely that this was an extended sort of teaching time, maybe over even a couple of days, maybe like a bit of a conference, if you like, uh, where people gathered and he's, he spent a couple of, a, a considerable time with them, with the disciples, with the crowd that were gathered around to, to tell them what he was on about. And it's likely that he was speaking this message, preaching this sermon um, over again. So, um, the he would go and, and preach this message and he would go somewhere else and preach the same message. And Matthew has collated di- the different stories and different accounts of Jesus for his hearers, which would have been a Jewish audience. And so we'll, we'll see some of that and, and the, the importance of that in a minute. Um, but he's gathered the important bits that his hearers needed to hear and put them together in a sermon. So I'm sort of a little bit joking when I'm saying Jesus preached for eight minutes or ten minutes and that was it. It's likely that it would have gone for a lot longer um, over the whole day or maybe even days. Um, and it's in Matthew's Gospel, it's the first of five sort of key teachings by Jesus and blocks of teaching, if you like. Uh, and Jesus is really preaching on like, this is how, to, how I want you to think, this is how I want you to live. This is how, what, you, what I want you to believe, this is how I want you to, to live it out. Um, you know, there's... We've, we've preached on this idea before as well here at Sal Baptist, this idea of belonging, believing, behaving. Uh, first we are to belong, then we are to believe, and then we behave, and then our behaviours change. It's sort of like the last step in the process of becoming a disciple. Jesus sort of welcomes people in as they are. He lets them belong as they are. He changes what they believe about him, and then he brings, out, brings about some transformation in their life and their behaviours. Um, and so, this Sermon on the Mount is really looking at that last point of this behaviours, the actions, the lifestyle, and how it should be considerably different to those around. I mean, for the original hearers of this teaching, it would have been mind-blowing sort of stuff. And even at the end of Matthew 7, I think, uh, it says that the crowds were astonished or they and, or amazed, and that word that they use there to, to describe is really this like mind-blowing, like, oh my goodness, like, what did we just hear? What was that all about? And he spoke with such authority. Um, and hopefully, it does the same for us. Hopefully, it's not just some words that we hear and go, yeah, that's nice. It's good for somebody who wants to hear that. But if we hear the essence of what Jesus is speaking to us about, it should blow our minds, it should uh, astonish us, amaze us. Followers of Jesus should look different to those who aren't followers of Jesus, is the, the, the basic um, bottom line of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a sermon that sort of turns up the volume on our sin and our shortcomings, but also turns up the volume of God's love and His grace. As, as we'll step through, we'll see that Jesus uh, sort of he makes the, the law of the Old Testament look attractive, like we'd rather stick with the law of the Old Testament, please, Jesus. This is, whew, this is next level sort of stuff. Um, and and, and it, its intention is that he would turn up our awareness of our sin and shortcomings, but also at the same time turn up the um, awareness of his grace and his love for us. Because Matthew 5 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is not in isolation, it's in the context of the entire Bible. And it's in the context of the cross that's to come. Um, and so you've got to, we've got to read that with that foreknowledge in sight as well. 
Matthew, sort of the first four chapters of Matthew lay a bit of a foundation for where we get to in, in Matthew 5. And, uh, and like I said, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience and so there's a lot of things that uh, are written in Matthew's Gospel that if you weren't brought up Jewish in first century Palestine, you probably wouldn't understand. I don't know if any of you fit that criteria. I definitely don't. No? I know we've got some old people here, but... Um, not sure if you're Jewish as well. Um, but, so, Jesus is born, he, he, he's taken to Egypt, and then he spends a bit of time in Egypt, and then Herod's looking to kill the babies, and then he's, he goes out of Egypt. And Matthew's gospel sort of um, highlights the fact that Jesus went to Egypt, and then he came out of Egypt. And that's to, if you know the Old Testament, and you know God's people, you know, you're beginning to see already, right from the start of Jesus' birth, that there's a bit of a mirroring happening here of the Old Testament um, people of God, the Israelites, coming out of Egypt, um, Jesus being baptised into the, the Red Sea and the Israelites going through the Red Sea. There's, there's the mirroring there. There's the wilderness experience of Jesus. Uh, the temptation of Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Israelites are in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, the fight, the battle between Jesus and Satan uh, when he's being tempted and he, and he quotes Scripture back every time. Every time he quotes Scripture, he's quoting Deuteronomy. He's quoting this, um, this slavery experience. And then he stands up after that and gives a new way to live. He gives these commands and it's like mirroring Moses up on Mount Sinai giving the Ten Commandments. But again, it's not the end of the story because Jesus goes on and he goes on to die on the cross and to rise again. And the whole context of that is to show us that Jesus is the saviour and, he and his kingdom is far more holy than what we could ever comprehend. And his ways are so much better than we could ever comprehend. And so as we hear this sermon and as we hear these words... There's probably a few ways we can approach it. There's a few ways we can hear um, hear these words. We can read it to find what we like and what we don't like. We could sort of listen to these words and go, oh, that's not really relevant anymore. That's not really... Sort of pick and choose. And unfortunately, that's what some Christians would do with a passage like this or a, uh, a series like this. They would go, well, let's pick that bit out. Let's pick, we don't really like that bit. That doesn't really fit today's culture. Um, we could do it that way. We'll, we'll attempt not to do that. We could read it and highlight the shortcomings in others and find sort of gotcha moments. Um, I don't know about you, but when I'm listening to sermons, sometimes I'm thinking about other people that need to hear the words that are being spoken. Anyone guilty of that? Anyone? No? No one. You're all very good listeners. Very humble people ready to receive. Um, there's going to be times where you hear things that you think, oh, I wish so-and-so hears, I hope so-and-so hears that. Or you might elbow your spouse and go, oh, I hope you hear that. Um, please don't do that because that's not the intent of the Sermon on the Mount. It's really that you would hear Jesus' words. You would hear Jesus' words. Everyone who hears the Sermon on the Mount is going to find problems with it. Problems in the sense that it's going to it's going to bring up offence in you. It's going, to, it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. It's going to point to shortcomings in your own life. It's going to point to sin in your own life that you maybe 
aren't aware of or choose to ignore or, or don't want to get rid of or whatever it is, but the Sermon on the Mount is not going to let, spare anybody. Every culture is going to find problems with the Sermon on the Mount. In a progressive culture like ours, we might see things like forgiveness and loving your enemies as good things. It's like, yeah, we can embrace those things, but then the stuff around the sexuality, we think, well, that's a bit, that's a bit in the dark ages, isn't it? We're, we're a bit past that. Or you may head to the Middle East and find that the views of sexuality in this sermon are far too liberal and that forgiving your enemy is impossible because of the need to hang on to past offences from generations gone by. And the point is, whatever cultural moment we find ourselves in, whatever culture you've grown up with, the Sermon on the Mount is going to butt against that at some point. And we've got to take the Sermon on the Mount, we've got to take Jesus' words as authoritative. We can't look at our culture and go, well, let's just try to fit this into our culture and make it work. We've got to, it's either all of it or none of it. We don't get the option of just picking and choosing which bits we like. Jesus doesn't afford us that luxury. Whatever cultural moment we find ourselves in, or anyone has ever found themselves in, the Sermon on the Mount is going to confront it. It's going to confront all of us. And I want to suggest that Jesus wants, to see, wants us to see two things. Firstly, he wants us to see what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God um, is like. What it looks like. What we're aiming at. What the ultimate what the ultimate kingdom, what the ultimate way of life looks like. He's going to point to a a high standard, a holy standard. And the second thing I think he wants us to see is that you don't measure up like you think you do. You don't measure up like you think you do. You don't have what it takes like you think you might in some of these areas. So let's jump in. We're going to How's that? I've already taken 15 minutes and loading up to verse 1. Poor, poor you. No, no, this is good. We'll, we'll get through it. Okay, verse 1 and 2. When he saw the crowd, he went up the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying... So, Jesus has done, in chapter 4, you can look back, he's done some miracles. He's gone around, sort of, um, doing a whole lot of stuff. And so, so, he's gathered a bit of a following. People are like, who's this guy? He's healing people. He's doing some amazing signs and wonders. And, and as you see through the Gospels, you see Jesus often withdraw himself to, to places to pray. And, and some people would suggest that this moment here was actually Jesus trying to get away from the crowds. He's, he's like, I'll go up the mountain. They won't follow me up there. But sure enough, they do. Um, so he's gone up the mountain. Um, as to mirror Moses in Exodus 19, he's going up the mountain. And he's sitting. And that is significant in the sense that that's like the posture of a rabbi or a teacher. So he's really sort of being symbolic in what, and Matthew's making the point here, that Jesus is in an authoritative position. He's sitting down to teach. Maybe I should sit down to preach. That'd be nice. His disciples gather, um, all those that are following him, and at, at this point in Matthew's Gospel, I think there's only four sort of of the 12 disciples that have been named and called. Uh, and so the disciples here are probably those four, but also anyone that was sort of following Jesus or, or wanting and interested in following Jesus. And so that's good news for us because it means that it, if these words apply to us. If you're interested or, or trying to follow Jesus, these words are really um, for you this morning. 
And he begins his sermon. He doesn't begin with a joke. He doesn't begin with a hook. Um, He just says, blessed are the ones who do this. And that word blessed um, could mean happy. It it could mean um, the idea of being approved of by God. It sort of carries all these sort of ideas. He gives four four main blessings or beatitudes that they're known as as well. Um, and they, they sort of mirror the Ten Commandments of Exodus 19 in the sense that the first lot are really in to do with our, our posture or our relationship with God and then the second four are more to do with our, our relationship horizontally with other people. And, and if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are really around uh, our relationship with God and then the, the final six are really to do with our interpersonal relationships. And they're not isolated Beatitudes. They're not like you can just pick one and go, all right, I'm just going to focus in on that one. They, they build on each other, which we'll see. And they really form the foundation of the whole Sermon on the Mount. Um, they, they set sort of the posture that each, per, each person, each hearer needs to have to be able to receive the rest of the words that Jesus is going to speak. It's a contrast of, in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments were a list of don'ts, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't steal, don't murder, blah, blah, blah. This is more of a, this is what you are to do. Do this, do this, be this person. So let's have a look. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heavens is theirs. So this is the idea of being the opposite of self-sufficient. Jesus is saying, you need to firstly know how much you're, you, you lack spiritually. You're completely spiritually bankrupt. You need to be poor in spirit. You don't have what it takes. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then he goes on and he's going to show you what this poor in spirit really looks like. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those who know they're spiritually bankrupt know that they are sinners, that they are not self-sufficient, and so they, they mourn. And they're not mourning the... This is not, nothing to do with really losing a loved one or having a terrible time. It's really about mourning and grieving sin in your own life. Grief over sin before a holy God. And those who mourn, those who really understand the the weight of their sin, they will be comforted. Comfort comes from the good news of the gospel. And this verse is to show us that this sermon is not just for the person next to you, but it's for you. There is no true comfort until we mourn our sin. And then he builds and he says, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Or, or, or some translations might say, blessed are the meek. The meek and the humble are those that have grieved their sin. They know that their way of living is not good. Um, and in our world, the, it's, it's not looked upon as a good thing to be meek or to be humble in this sense. Um, because meekness or, or, or humility in this context is seen as a weakness or a posture of weakness. But really, it's this idea of strength under control, a deliberate use of strength, of a, of a um, surrendering of strength. Like, I know that I'm wrong, so show me a better way. I know that the way that I try to get to God, I don't have what it takes. I'm spiritually bankrupt. My sin grieves me. So now I'm in this... Um, contrite place of coming before God, show me a better way. 
And then it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so it's only when you've gone through these first three that you can get to this place of like emptiness to then be hungry and thirsty. Do you know you're not hungry and thirsty when you've just had a meal? I mean, most people aren't. Some people are always hungry and thirsty if you're six years old. But most people, once you move past that time of just devouring everything that looks like food, you get to a point where you've had a meal and you're content. You can't hunger and thirst for righteousness when your life is full of something else. And the way to empty yourself is to really go through these first first three Beatitudes to find yourself completely empty so that then you can be hungry and thirsty for something more. To empty yourself, empty yourself of self um, and your own will and your own sense of being good so that you can hunger and thirst for something else. And then it goes on, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So after understanding our position before God, we turn towards others with a different attitude. The world would say, blessed are those who get justice for themselves. But Jesus says, no, blessed are the merciful. We might ask, well, does this mean we only get mercy if we show mercy? I mean, it sort of reads that way. But we're going to see through the Sermon on Mount that there's a few times where it, it could be read, um, you know, your Father in heaven will only forgive you when you forgive others. Um, really what is happening here is that it's a... It's a a demonstration of your understanding of the mercy or the forgiveness or whatever it is that Jesus is talking about. Blessed are those, blessed are the merciful, so they will be shown mercy, is, a, is another way of saying um, those who know they are given mercy will show mercy. When you fully understand or when you uh, comprehend the mercy of God, it allows you to show mercy to others. And we see this through the building of the previous four beatitudes or blessings that when you understand that point and you come to a place of complete bankruptcy spiritually that your ability to give others mercy is amplified because you understand that you've been given mercy when you didn't deserve any and so the world would say you need to get justice for yourself but jesus says no you need to be merciful we don't need to be self-justifying explaining why we why we are right and somebody else is wrong Instead, be merciful. And sometimes that just means being silent. Sometimes the most merciful thing you can do in in a situation is just to close your mouth and not try to justify your own behaviours or justify why you are a certain way, but to simply show mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is this idea of having our desires purified, chasing after the right things for the right reasons. It's not just about being seen to do the right things, but rather having the right motivation behind it. And again, for the original hearers of this, the Jewish audience, the Pharisees and the scribes who were up for show, and just let's do the right thing and let's make sure we, we do the right thing or are seen to be doing the right thing, Jesus is saying, no, no, it's about your heart and we're going to see how much of the heart Jesus is really chasing after through this series. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So the opposite of being a self-promoting person, 
but being a promoter of peace. Bring peace between people and people and bring peace between people and God through the sharing of the gospel. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So this way of thinking and this way of living won't always be popular. And your job is not to be self-preserving, but rather to be after the things of Jesus at the expense of yourself, at the expense of your own popularity, of your own acceptance with everybody else. And Jesus goes on and he hashes this out a bit more in the next couple of verses. You're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, don't try to win the approval of man. None of this is about trying to win the approval of people around you. This is seeing the kingdom of God, the perfection, the holiness of the kingdom of God and chasing after that with everything you have. Because ultimately, that's the only thing that matters. If someone hates you because of it, don't worry about that because your reward is great in heaven. That temporary bit of disapproval, persecution, not that we get persecuted in Australia in the sense of of what they were talking about, but any sense of disapproval or um, ridicule that you might get because you chased after the kingdom of heaven is so temporary and fleeting compared to the eternal nature of heaven and the kingdom of God. And then he moves on to the salt and light. And this is a pretty well-known little passage. If you've been in church before, you've no doubt heard lots of sermons and um, talks on this. But we go from how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to God and how we relate to others, to now how our our influence works out. When When you start to live this way, when you start to have these attitudes, your influence will grow to become salt and light. So first he talks about the salt, you're the salt of the earth, if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty, it's no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. By the way, we're going to also see through the Sermon on the Mount the the idea of hell and um, people being cast out and, um, and sent away from the presence of God, the kingdom of God. You know, some people would like to see the Sermon on the Mount as just, look how loving Jesus is, look how good he is and how cuddly he is but I mean yes he's he's gracious and he's loving but he pulls no punches here and he's and he's always pointing to the consequence of those who choose their own way and there can be no doubt that he turns up the the volume on on sin and the punishment of sin as well through this sermon and so salt of the earth in in the first century um, times salt's primary purpose purpose was a preservative, not as a flavour enhancing um, condiment. You didn't get little packets of it with your, I don't know what they ate back then, bits of lamb, whatever they had. Um, But it was a preservative. So preserved food, um, it was used in in wounds to to stop the decay of of whatever was happening in um, of infection stops the spread of decay. It was highly valuable, you know, that saying, worth their, worth their salt or worth their weight in salt, um, is, comes from this idea that salt was valuable because of, the, um, because of what it did. 
because of its preserving nature and its ability to, to stop the spread of decay. And I think this is what Jesus is saying here, um, or what the original hearers would have heard when they heard, you are the salt of the earth, is that your influence will be like that of preserving the holiness of God, preserving the holiness of the kingdom of God. The ways of God are to be preserved. And, and by preserving it, you're going to stop the decay, stop the spread of decay caused by sin, as much as depends on you. And so one of these key roles is to help preserve the goodness of God and to stop the, de- the spread of the decay of sin. And sometimes that might sting. You know, if you've ever put salt in your wound or if you've ever gone swimming at the beach with a cut and the salt gets in there, it stings a little bit. You know it's good for you, but it still stings. And there's a, a sense through what Jesus is saying here is that this won't always be popular. And some people will see your life and see the way you live and see the values that you hold and it will rub them the wrong way. It won't be popular. It won't be accepted all the time. Salty people are preserving righteousness in a culture that doesn't like it. And we're going to see more of that in the weeks to come. And then the second thing he talks about after salt is light. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. So light, in again, in first century um, times, they didn't have, hey Google, turn the lights on. They didn't have light switches on their walls. They didn't have torches on their phones that they could wander out in the middle of the night and find their friends. No, it was dark. And if the clouds were over the moon, it was as it was dark. And so uh, people would go home when it got dark and they would go to bed because there was, there was no sense in going out after dark. You weren't having dinner parties um, like we're having uh, at night time, you know, inviting people around for for meals at night time, like that sort of, if that did happen, people would have stayed in the house that night. They wouldn't have travelled back home. Um, and so light was really important in the sense because people wouldn't travel because it was unsafe to do so. Um, light brought about safety with it. Uh, it also brought about this idea of revealing. So when, obviously, when light is there, darkness is no longer and, and so darkness is the absence of light, and so light brings about this revealing nature. And so those that are the light of the world bring about this revealing nature of, of, of people's shortcomings, but also of the goodness of God and the grace of God. Light also causes growth. Um, you know, if, you, um, if you're around someone who's, like the light of the world, they're, they're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Just being around them, being in their presence, inspires you to, to want to do the same thing. It causes you to grow in your walk with God. And what Jesus is saying, he be the light of the world in that sense as well. Cause people to grow. Cause people to, to want to know God and love God more. And like I said, the third thing is it provides safety. Where there's no street lights, and when the sun went down, it was unsafe. And so light brings with it safety. You can both be seen, and you can know where to go. I love this picture of, of what we're supposed to be like. 
We're supposed to see people, help them be seen, and help them to know where to go. Be someone who makes people seen. And be someone who shows people where to go, the way to go. People are walking around. um, They need to be seen. So many people in in our day, in our culture, their biggest need is just that someone would notice them. Someone would know their name. There's people even in our church, and they just need to be seen. It's only when they're seen, when they're known, that they can then be shown, this is the way we go. And then in verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and then give glory to God in heaven. They don't want to hear all your good fancy words, all your opinions. They just want to see you live out the life that Jesus called you to live. And when they do see you do that, when you are the light of the world like that, they will give glory to God in heaven. Not words and not us. a lifestyle that brings glory to heaven, a lifestyle that mirrors the kingdom of heaven. And so as we wrap up this little section, my encouragement for you today is that this message, this sermon, not my sermon, but the Sermon on the Mount, needs to be on repeat in our minds. It needs to be on repeat in our lives. It's not what the world tells us. It's not, it doesn't contain ideas that the world would amplify and say, that's a value you should, that's a value you should espouse. To have because this sermon will highlight our shortcomings it will it will sting sometimes and so the words of jesus show how perfect and holy the kingdom is they also show how we don't measure up which if we read them in, in their right context of the whole gospel and the whole bible will actually drive us towards god When we realise how much we don't measure up, it doesn't drive us away from God, but it drives us towards Him because we realise that only He can can save us. Only He can give us the grace and the mercy that we need. We can't do it. It's only when we're focused on ourselves and our own abilities and our own sort of trying to be a holy and perfect person, then when we see that we don't, that we, we run away from God because we're focused on what we're trying to bring to the table. But when we see this and see that, oh, I can't bring anything to the table, it drives me towards the throne of grace. And so I encourage you, have this sermon on repeat. The words of this world are hollow. They make you think that you can work your life out, get some level of happiness and be okay, but ultimately they'll leave you wanting and missing true happiness and the fullness of what it is to be really blessed, truly blessed, the way that Jesus uh, offers So my encouragement over the next couple of weeks, maybe read through the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't done that ever before, I encourage you to do it. It will take you, like I said, maybe 10 minutes. If you can, maybe read it every day for, the, for this whole week. 10 minutes a day, read through the Sermon on the Mount. Not to find what you like and what you don't like, but rather with that posture of humility and surrender and saying, God, speak to me. Show me your truth. Show me your way. 
Show me how good your kingdom is. And see what happens. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it is live, it is active. It's able to change our hearts and give us direction. It's able to bless us and give us your approval. And God, we pray that as we look deeper into this, into this message and into these words, God, that you, you might transform our lives to become the people of God that you want us to be. God, that we might be like those first century disciples that see you go up the mountain and, and we're coming after you. We want to hear what you've got to say. We want to sit at your feet and we want to be taught by the greatest teacher. And so, God, would you help us to do that? Would you give us the, the desire to, to hang on every word you say and to put it into practice? God, we love you and we, we surrender afresh to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Yaram, for joining us this morning. It's great to have you with us. We'll see you again next Sunday. Have a great week.